Welcome to the podcast where we prod the sheep and beat the wolf. This is episode nine, the LGBTQ abomination. Now, when I say that the LGBTQ movement is an abomination, I mean it. The Bible calls it that. And I want to be honest about what the Bible says, regardless of the fact that so many people now are so afraid to speak. In today's episode, what I want us to do is I want us to talk about the homosexual movement and how it's an abomination to God. And I also want to focus in on some verses that rarely get mentioned because not only is the movement an abomination, not only is participating and acting out homosexual and lesbian and transgender uh, actions an abomination, but it's also an abomination in the scriptures to support the movement, and it's an abomination uh, for a nation to put up with the movement. So today I want to pull no punches, but I also want to be gracious and I want to show the gospel is the power of God to save everyone who believes, even uh, me, who's the chief of sinners, even you and anyone caught in the homosexual movement. So that is the premise for what we're going to do today. Now, to set this up, I'm beginning with this particular topic that we started last week because of one particular issue, and that's the Canada Bill C-4 that just went through the Canadian legislator last year. It's now signed into law this year. It's on the books. It's in effect. And pastors in Canada are actually afraid that this particular bill is going to um, end up getting some of them arrested or charged with a criminal offense. Essentially, what the bill says is that anyone who tries to convert someone out of a homosexual, lesbian, gay, by uh, transgender identity and into a heterosexual identity is breaking the law. That carries with it a five-year maximum prison sentence. And pastors believe that because the bill is written so nonspecifically and vague and because it's applied in such a one-directional manner that it is going to make inroads in the church, pastors are going to get arrested. And I want to stand in solidarity with my Canadian brothers and sisters, especially those brothers who are going to be preaching God's word this weekend and weekends to come. I want to stand in solidarity with them and lay out for you today what is a biblical sexual ethic. Now, we're going to be, start, we're going to be talking about abominations. We're going to be talking about what the Bible calls abominations. We're going to be talking about what that word means, and we're going to be talking about what verses actually cite this, what actions are included in this. And in the end, we're going to show how only Christ can save and only Christ can bring someone out of that community and into the kingdom of his light, because that is the only hope that we have. So that is how we're going to begin. And I want to begin with the definition of what abomination actually means, because it's not good for us to continue talking about this sin as an abomination if we actually don't know what abomination means. So, according to the concise Hebrew Aramaic lexicon of the Old Testament, abomination is something that is detestable to God. It's an action that God hates. Now, there's sins in the Bible, and there's abominations. There are certain sins like lying, false witness, dishonoring parents that are never called abominations. They're called sins. Those sins will separate you from a holy God. They will send you to hell, but abominations are worse. There's seven things that it says in Proverbs that are abominations to God that he despises, that he hates, and will provoke God's anger and wrath. And all throughout the Bible, homosexuality and every sin that's pervasive in the LGBTQ movement 
are considered abominations. Here's another example. This is from the Strong's Old Testament lexicon, and it says, an abomination is that which is disgusting to God. So it's not only detestable, it's disgusting. It's something that God cannot permit. He allows, by his grace, particular societies to travel along the road of sin. For a long time, God is gracious in allowing nations to be sinful, but he's not patient, and he doesn't allow nations to continue on the LGBTQ train, historically speaking and biblically speaking, very long before he completely comes in and shuts everything down. So that's what an abomination is. It's that which is totally detestable to God. Now, I'll say that maybe a reason for that is because in the first chapter of the Bible, we get God's paradigm for how he wanted to create the world. It says that he created things and those things were good. And when he gets to human beings, those things are very good. So you think about things like gender. God called gender very good. He made male and he made female and he didn't make she males and he didn't make he hers. That's just the point. The second thing is marriage. Marriage is a very good thing to God, but marriage is only very good in the context of male-female marital covenantal union. Everything outside of that is called an abomination, whether you're sleeping around as a teenager and you're not married or whether you're male with male, female with female, or whatever number of sexual perversions that you can stack up. They're abominations to God because they depart from his created order. So when you depart from God's created order, it's an abomination. An abomination is detestable and disgusting to God. That is what the LGBTQ movement and the sin that underlines it is, biblically speaking. It is a disgusting and detestable abomination to God, which is strong language, I understand. But I'm not just going to throw out those sorts of hard tags and hard titles without backing it up with Scripture. So... What we're going to do, normally on the podcast, I give commentary on Scripture or commentary on culture. I reference Scripture, but today we're going to load this episode full of Scripture because I want to make a biblical case for how LGBTQ sins are an abomination to God. And I want to begin with Leviticus 18.22, which says that gay and lesbian sex is an abomination to God. No matter what culture tells you, no matter what you know, news and movies and entertainment try to tell you that love is love and all of that nonsense. Biblically speaking, it is an abomination, is disgusting and detestable to God. So Leviticus 18.22 says this, a male shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. So right off the bat, the L and the, and the G of the LGBTQ movement are an abomination to God. They are sins that God abhors and does not permit to stand. The second abomination that we see listed in Scripture is animal sex with human beings is an abomination to God. Now, before we get carried away and say that that will never happen, you wait. The world right now that is pushing for the LGBTQ agenda, especially the T agenda, will eventually legalize polygamy and will eventually legalize bestiality and will and will make it illegal for anyone to speak out against such disgusting perversions because they will use the same phrase that love is love. They were born this way. They were made this way. That is an abomination to God. It says this in Leviticus 18, 23 through 26. It says, also you shall not have intercourse with any animal to be defiled with it, nor shall any women stand before an animal to mate with it. It is a perversion. Do not defile yourself by any of these things. 
For by all these the nations which I am casting out before you have become defiled. For the land itself has become defiled. Uh, therefore, I have brought its punishment upon it, so that the land has spewed out its inhabitants. But as for you, you are to keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not do any of these abominations. Now, I feel like I hardly need to spend time on the fact that it's an abomination to God for a man or for a woman to have sex with an animal. But again, we live in very confusing times, and I do include it in this list for the reason that I think in the future, if God doesn't if God doesn't bring this culture to its knees, revival doesn't happen, or if this country doesn't rip itself apart, this will eventually become a thing. The third thing that the Bible says is an abomination to God is transgenderism. Now, the Bible doesn't use transgenderism, just like the Bible doesn't use the word trinity. The Bible doesn't say, thou shalt not play your Xbox 24 hours a day and refuse to get a job. But the Bible does say that you ought to provide for your family because if you don't, you're worse than an unbeliever. The Bible does say that we're to steward our time. The Bible does say that we are to to give our first fruits to the Lord, and, and on and on we can go. Well, the Bible doesn't necessarily say that transgenderism is a sin in the same way that it says the homosexuality is. But I guarantee you that when you see this passage that I'm going to show you, you're going to see that that transgenderism is an abomination right alongside of the other sins that we are listening listing. So Deuteronomy 25 or 225 says this: A woman shall not wear man's clothing, nor shall a man put on a woman's clothing. For whoever does these things is an abomination to God. Biblically speaking. It is an abomination for a woman to dress up like a man and pretend that she's a man. That's transgenderism. It is a abomination before God for a woman or for a man to dress up like a woman and pretend that he's a woman. It's an abomination before God. The Bible itself is more modest than the current moment than we live in because the Bible itself doesn't even anticipate the level of perversion that is going to happen in this culture God himself anticipates it, but he doesn't put it in his scripture because now you've got you've got women who are chopping off body parts and adding body parts to become men. Men are doing the same thing. This is an abomination to God. And again, I don't want to keep you just using that word flippantly. This kind of sin goes against God's created order. God created masculinity to be good. He created femininity to be good. He created males good, females good, and he did not give us the option to wake up one day and say that that I think that I'm a woman trapped in a man's body. We don't have that right. We're not the creator. When we take those things in our hands, we are inviting the wrath of God onto ourselves, our nation, and our and our land. So that's the third. The fourth is harlotry and pornography is also an abomination to God. It says in Deuteronomy 23, 17 through 18, none of the daughters of Israel shall be cult prostitutes. And nor any of the sons of Israel shall be cult prostitutes. You shall not bring the hire of a harlot or the wages of a dog into the house of the Lord your God for any votive offering. For both of these things are an abomination to the Lord your God. The Bible is an equal opportunity. Uh, it's equal opportunity in the sense that it calls heterosexual sin an abomination as well in the same way that it is wrong for a woman and for a man to carelessly rack up thousands or hundreds or even multiple sexual partners is an abomination in the same way 
that homosexuality is an abomination. The question is not, are we going to, are we going to look at homosexuality and transgenderism and bisexuality with the same level of flippancy that we look at heterosexual sin? The question is, are we finally going to wake up and see sin for what it really is and learn to hate our sin and repent for our sin and turn to the living God for forgiveness of our sin, no matter what flavor of sin that it actually is? The fifth is that any kind of perverted sex is an abomination. Proverbs 11.20 says, The perverse in heart are an abomination to the Lord, but the blameless or but the blameless in their walk are his delight. When we think about the LGBTQ, LMNOP, plus two, three, four, five, like whatever, when we think about that movement, we are talking about a movement that is perverse and that is turning what God says is good on its head, that this movement is is taking what is a wonderful gift that God has given to humanity, which is which is marriage sex, and it is perverting it and polluting it. And God says that that level of perversion is an abomination. Number six, individual supporting the LGBTQ movement is an abomination. So, dear Christians, I would say this is your moment to turn the volume up on the earpiece and listen up. Pastors, if you have churches where you're open and affirming or whether you know, you are transitioning towards being more accepting to homosexuality as a sin, I would say you need to listen to this verse because those who even support this movement are called an abomination to God. It says in Proverbs 15, 9, the way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves ones who pursue righteousness. Again, it says in Proverbs seventeen fifteen, he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous, both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. So, Pastor, if you are getting on to your congregants who are saying that this is a sin and that we ought to not have pastors who are who are lesbian and pastors who are who are transgender because it's clearly an abomination to God and you're getting on to them for being so narrow minded, well, you're an abomination to God. <laughs> Because you're allowing what is wicked to be called good, and you're allowing what is good to be called wicked. Any pastor in the country who is in that position ought to repent. This movement is destroying the nation that we live in, the nation of Canada, and it's infiltrating the church, and it's serious, and we ought to take notice of it. Number seven is that a nation supporting the LGBTQ movement is under the wrath of God and under an abomination. It says this in Ezekiel 7.4. For my eye, God, will have no pity on you, nor will I spare you, but I will bring your ways upon you, and your abominations will be among you. Then you will know that I am the Lord. What God is saying here in Ezekiel 7, 4, is that if a nation continually practices abominations, and if a nation continually justifies themselves in their wickedness, that he will bring them to the ground. He will bring them to an utter end. And that is what I fear for this country. And that is what I fear for Canada and every other Western country that's been infiltrated with this. If we continue to participate in this movement, if we continue to placate this movement, if we continue to, to, to fail to preach against this movement, if we continue to try to justify and say that, that Jesus never called us to call out sin. He called us to be sweet and nice and and everything right. If we continue to do those things and we continue to allow this movement to gain traction, especially in, in the church, God will bring the hammer down on this culture. It says it in Ezekiel 4, and I trust God more than I do man. So I believe what the word of the Lord says. 
That's number seven. Number eight, a government supporting the LGBTQ movement is under the wrath of God. Says it is an abomination for kings to commit wicked acts for a throne is established on righteousness. Romans 13 also adds to this that God raises up governments to promote the good in society, to do what God has said, to bring justice to the land. When a country is so polluted and a government is so polluted that it not only doesn't um, uphold righteousness, but it promotes wickedness, the end of that country is near. And we can see this happening today in America, and we can see this happening in Canada and other countries such as that. Number nine, if you support the LGBTQ movement, your prayers will be an abomination to God. This is a tough one because as Christians, we we think that that this is not going to affect me. It doesn't affect me if my neighbor marries you know, they're a man and they marry another man. It doesn't affect me if my sister marries a woman. It doesn't affect me. It's not my life. But if you support that, if you go to their weddings, if you cheer for them and celebrate them and buy them wedding gifts and everything else, like if you participate in this movement, it says in Proverbs 28, 9, that he who turns away his ear from listening to the law and the law defines sexual ethics, even his prayers are an abomination to God. What this means is that if you ignore what God has said in his law, your prayers are disgusting to God. That's tough. But knowing that ought to lead us to repentance, right? Number 10, if you're a pastor who supports this movement, then God will destroy your ministry. And that's not my words. That's God's words. Look at what it says in Jeremiah. They have healed the brokenness of my people superficially saying peace, peace, but there is no peace. Were they ashamed because of the abominations that they have done? They were not even ashamed at all. They did not even know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among all those who fall. And at that time, I will punish them and they shall be cast down, says the Lord. The setting in the book of Jeremiah is not completely the same as it is today, but the prophets and the priests and the the spiritual leaders of that country were preaching a false gospel. They were saying that that God has given the country peace and peace, but there was no peace. There was abominations that were happening in the land. There was homosexuality. There was abortions. There was uh, lesbianism. There was all of these different things that were abominations that the pastors were overlooking. And because the pastors were overlooking them, God's anger was incited against his own people. Pastors, you are one of the first defenses for this nation. And if you are compromised, then what's going to hold back the wrath and the fury of God from attacking you? Now, God is gracious, absolutely But when the church is corrupted with the same sins as Babylon or the same sins as America or the same sins as Canada, then what is stopping the fury of God to come down upon the head of the church and also upon the nation? We are salt in a decaying world. We are lights in a dark world. When the lampstand's been extinguished, then what's going to stop God from judging the nation? When the salt no longer has its saltiness, what's going to stop God from throwing it away? Pastors, you have to grow a backbone at this moment, and there are a lot of great pastors. There's 10,000 this weekend who are preaching a biblical sexual ethic in in solidarity with our brothers in Canada. There's 100,000 more who are faithful, godly men. There's men in New England that I know and who I love, and their brotherhood means so much to me that they're faithfully preaching the Word of God. But for the rest of you, 
For those of you in the health, wealth, and prosperity movement, or for those of you in the liberal movement, or for those of you who are placating truth and trying to tickle people's ears with fancy sermons that make them feel good in their sin, but basically red carpet their road to hell, you need to repent. You are the problem. I hold you infinitely more responsible than the LGBTQ movement because you are the one who knows the truth and you are ignoring the truth just like these wicked liars who were there in the days of Jeremiah. You need to repent, sir. And if you're a woman preaching, you need to step down because that's not biblical anyway. Now, that's a list. That's 10 things in this passage or 10 things in the Bible that are listed as abominations. There's more. These have to do with sexual ethics, and these have to do with with how we as Christians and how we as pastors view this. And I just want to make some clarifications here because I've been very, very forceful about how these are abominations, and it could look like that I'm being judgmental. I understand, and I hope you understand, that every sin separates us from a holy God. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is... All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. We get that. But there's an especially visible and tangible instance of God's wrath that comes with these sins. These sins that are called abominations provoke the fury of God in a way that that we need to be aware of and we need to be repenting of. These sins are so heinous according to God. And I don't care what your standard is, anyone out in the world, and I don't care what your standard is, pastor who's backsliding or pastor who's placating. I don't care what your standard is. The Bible says it, and I believe it. But the Bible says that these sins are so heinous that they even pollute and poison the land. They don't only just pollute and poison your people. They pollute and poison the actual earth. Leviticus 18, 27 through 28 says this, For the men of the land who have been before you have done all these abominations, and the land has become defiled, so that the land will not spew you out, that you should defile it, it, as it has spewed out the nations which have come before you. As Ezra 9.11 says, which you have commanded by your servant the prophet, saying the land which you are entering to possess is an unclean land with the uncleanness of the peoples of the land, with their abominations which have filled it from end to end and with their impurity. Do you see what this is saying? Pastors, Christians, church, when you participate in these sins, you are polluting the land. And God himself does not look, is not going to overlook that. So this is serious. This is not just serious temporally because, you know, I think if this continues, America's going to fall, Canada's going to fall, the West is going to fall, and we're going to have we're going to have a basically a world without that's going to look entirely different to what it is today because the West was so addicted to these sins. And I don't want that. I want America to repent. I want America to revive and to to be strong in Christ again. And that's the only way America is going to be strong is if it repents and it turns to God. So I care about it from that perspective. But eternally, it matters so much more. These sins don't lead to heaven. There's no such thing as a gay Christian. There's no such thing as a transgender Christian. There's no such thing as a lesbian, bi, gay, mermaid, or whatever else kind of Christian. If you're if you're in this movement and you're actively participating in this sin, then you are not in the kingdom of God. And that's a stark reality. Now, that's not to say that you can't be struggling with a sin. 
It's not to say that 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 you're you're saved and you're fighting against this sin, but there is no category in the Bible for someone who's saved and has given themselves over to the sin and identifies with the sin. It's just not a category. For instance, Romans 1, 26 through 27 says this, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up their natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of error. You cannot be a homosexual and be in the good graces of God, actively speaking. You can be a repentant homosexual. You can be one who's turning from your homosexuality. But it says that in order for you to be that, God has to give you over to your abomination. God has to give you over to whatever sin it is that's degrading and and causing to and it's consuming you. So that's the first thing. Second thing is the judgment of God is going to rest on top of your life. Hebrews 13:4 says, "Let the marriage bed be held in honor among everyone." That's covenantal heterosexual man-woman faithful marriage. That you cannot read into that passage that just because you're two people in love that this passage applies to you. It doesn't. Let the marriage bed be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. That means that God's righteous, holy judgment is on you if you're in this movement. Next, it says that you will be thrown into the eternal fire. This is the Bible's words. It says, just as Sodom and Gomorrah, which was known for their rank homosexuality and perversions, and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, serve as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Just like Sodom and Gomorrah were thrown into the eternal fire, if you are actively giving yourself into the homosexual movement, you are en route to the lake of fire. You're en route going towards hell, and I don't want that for you. That's why I'm doing this video. I'm doing this video for two reasons, because I want, number one, I want Christians to know what the Bible says about these things and so that they can believe what the Bible says about these things and pray for those who are caught in this this deplorable movement. But I also want anyone who watches this who's inside the movement I, I want you to repent. I want you to turn away from your sin and turn to Christ. I can't be any more stark than what I'm being right now. These things will not save you. They will damn you. And I do not want that for you. It says that you will be eternally banned from the kingdom of God. Galatians five nineteen through 21 says, The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you all before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And you may say, Kendall, this passage doesn't mention homosexuality. It says sexual immorality. Sexual immorality has already been defined earlier as homosexuality. So, therefore, homosexuals, lesbians, gays, transgenders, bi, and anyone else are not going to inherit the kingdom of God unless they give up that identity and turn to an identity in Christ. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, 
nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. It could not be more plain. But now I want to talk about the hope because we talked about how this is an abomination. We've talked about how that supporting it is an abomination. A government supporting it is an abomination. We talked about that. And maybe you're feeling defeated or maybe you're feeling very angry right now. My prayer is that if you're angry, that you would take that anger and instead of using it to blast me on the comment section or to or to get angry at all the evangelicals who are so narrow-minded because we believe what God says instead of what you say, I pray that you would use that anger and just go read the Bible for itself. Let the, let, let the Word of God work on you. Let it transform you. Let it humble you. Let it cause you to, to come to a point of conviction. And when you come to a point of conviction, you have to be willing to say, if God really is who he says he is, meaning he's infinite and he's loving and he created you with a good purpose, if he really is those things, then he has authority over every part of your life, just like he has authority over every part of mine. My heterosexual sin is no different than your homosexual sin in the sense that we have to repent. We have to turn. We have to be made righteous by Christ. Without Jesus Christ, you have no hope. And that's what I want to get to is to describe to you where you can have the hope, and that's in Jesus. It says in 1 Corinthians six eleven, we read some of those passages earlier where, where it said, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's verse 9. The, neither were the homosexuals, sexually immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers. We know that. They're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But look at what Paul says. He says, such were some of you. What, what he's saying is that it used to be that some of you, the audience that he's talking to in the town of Corinth, 2,000 years ago, some of them were homosexuals. Some of them were men who dressed up as women. Some of them were whatever other sexual deviancy or, or identity. Maybe they were prostitutes in the temple of an idol. Some of them were those things. But in the light of Jesus Christ, they are no longer those things because Jesus can break any addiction. He can break any identity. He can transform you out of the LGBTQ movement, which is leading you to popularity on earth, but hell forever. He can transform you, rescue you, ransom you, and deliver you out of that movement into a place where you actually will have the things that you want. You want to be accepted. That's why you probably are gaining some sense of, of, of pleasure from being in the homosexual movement because you've got friends now who you can identify with. You've got people who love you and people who accept you and people who want you. You want the same things that every human being on planet Earth want. We want to be accepted and loved. You're not going to find that in a movement. You're only going to find that in God. Such were some of you because now they've been redeemed. Now they've been washed. It says you've been washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The homosexual movement can't wash you. It only pollutes you. It can't sanctify you. It only desecrates you. It can't justify you. It will only leave you damned before a holy God. Only Jesus Christ can save you. And that is what I'm pleading you to, to listen to me and hear me with, is that these sins that you cling so tightly to, these identity-level sins will not save you. They will damn you. And I don't want you to, to wait until the end of your life to find that out. I'd so much rather you, you turn to Jesus and find healing, not acceptance for your sin, but acceptance for you, the sinner. 
you would find healing in Jesus Christ and you would be redeemed and transformed into a new creation. Finally, as we close, I just want to remind my brothers and sisters in Canada, especially the pastors, any pastor in any pulpit, I think this applies to you, preach the gospel. The gospel is the power of God, not your anecdotes, not your analogies and your metaphors and your, and your well-delivered messages. Preach the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. God doesn't ascribe his power to anything else but the gospel. Preach the gospel. Call sinners out of their sin. Tell them to repent and turn to Jesus. That's not unloving. That's the most loving thing you could do. When you go to a doctor and you have cancer and the doctor tells you, ah, everything is fine. You have a little bit of hair loss, but I'll prescribe Rogaine for that. That doctor should be treated as a serial killer because he's, he's an awful human being and ought to be tried for, for crimes and put in jail. Well, pastor, please don't do the same thing. Don't look at your people and pet them on the head when, when they tell you that they're struggling with a sin and say, that's okay, God still loves you. Tell them the truth about their sin. Tell them that they have to repent and turn from their sin. Tell them Romans 8.13, which says, if by the Spirit you are putting to death the misdeeds of the flesh then you will live. It doesn't say that you will live if you're living and identifying and surrendering to the misdeeds of the flesh. It says if you're putting them to death. Pastor, tell them that. Tell them the gospel. That's the first thing. The second is I would say, remember 2 Timothy 3.16, which says all scriptures breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching. Those passages that, that you squirm over and you say, I can't tell my people that homosexuality is a sin. I'm going to offend them. That passage, sir, is breathed out by God, and it is useful, and it is good, and it is there for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training. And it's, it's there for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Please don't deny the word of God just because it's going to make someone squirm in their chair. Please don't be ashamed of the words of Christ. They are the power of God, not your opinions. Remember what your calling is. Your calling is not to stand in judgment over the word of God and only share the parts that you think are right. You're a slave, and you've been called by a great master to take his message, all of it, every word of it, to his people Will you be a wicked slave or will you be a faithful slave when he returns? That's the question. I want you to remember 2 Timothy 4.2, which says, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season to reprove and rebuke and exhort and to complete patience and with complete patience and teaching so that you fulfill your ministry. Brother, preach the word. Whether it's in season or out of season, whether it's in vogue or whether it's out of vogue, whether you're on the right side of history or on the wrong side of history, preach the word. And I would remind you of Mark 4, 7, that to begin that preaching gospel is to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You cannot preach the gospel without preaching repentance. And you cannot preach the gospel without preaching that Christ is the only hope. Please don't forget both sides of the gospel. Tell them to repent, but call them to a greater hope that Christ is the one. 
who has done what they need to do. He's lived the way that they need to live. He's died the death that they needed to die. He has stood in their place. Call them to rest and trust in that Jesus. But don't forget that Jesus says, repent and sin no more, to leave your sin, to walk away from your identity and take on his identity. Don't forget that because that's part of the gospel too. And finally, as we close, I want to ask you to remember Luke 9, 26. For whoever's ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes into his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Pastor, Christian, church. If you're ashamed of Christ and if you're ashamed of his words, Christ himself said he will be ashamed of you. In Revelation 3.16, it says that he would rather us be either hot or cold because he will spew the lukewarm out of his mouth. I pray that that is not you. Pastor, I pray that you would be bold and that you would preach and that you would teach and that I, I pray this way. I pray that every single week you're not standing up in your pulpit railing against homosexuality like a blowhard who's, who's just trying to be mean and angry and just attack the homosexuals. I pray against that for you. You're not to be filled with that sort of anger and malice. But when the text comes, when you're in the Bible preaching and that text comes where homosexuality is mentioned, I pray that you preach it with boldness. I pray that you say that it's a sin. I pray that you point to the the beautiful resurrected Savior Christ who's the only one who can save. And I pray that you plead with your people to turn from their sin and to turn to Christ. And I pray that you do that in such a way that honors the Father. And when you meet Jesus face to face, he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. This has been a special episode of the podcast where we're looking at a particular movement called the LGBTQ movement and how sinful it is. I pray that you would join us as we pray for members who are in that movement to repent, for pastors who are afraid of that movement to repent, and for us as we meet people in our lives who suffer in in this particular sin that we would lovingly, carefully, and Christ and in a Christ-like way, call them to repent and turn to Christ. Until next time, God bless you.